while, while the kids are headed out, we, we have spent the last couple of weeks looking at 1 Timothy. We, we began a study of 1 Timothy, and 1 Timothy 1.1, it talks about hope, and he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. And we, we've spent the last couple weeks talking about hope and we're gonna, that's going to lead into our Christmas Eve service this coming Saturday, 5 o'clock. And we've seen the last couple of weeks uh, that uh, biblical hope is rooted. It, it's rooted in the character and the promises of God. And therefore, we, we said that our, our hope is secure. Our, our hope is certain. Our hope has substance to it. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. Our, our hope is not like the world's hope. It has substance. Namely, uh, a person. And it's, it's God, it's His character, it's His promises. We, we saw the last couple of weeks that, that hope was uh, fueled by really the God's Word, that, that God's Word contains these promises that we ought to know this word, that uh, we ought to build our lives around this word. And, and we said that really it boiled down to understanding the gospel. It, under, it boiled down to understanding exactly what the gospel is. That, that Christ dying for our sins, that, that God crucifying His own Son so that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord could be saved. Uh, we, we've said it many times before, 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21 really are, are just so rich. God made Him, that's Jesus Christ, who knew no sin to be sent on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. God. Jesus had no sins to pay for, He had no sins to deal with, and yet He took the sins of the whole world the wrath of God that was due those sins upon Himself, that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord could be forgiven, that God could rightly forgive sinners. And, and we talked about that that biblical hope gives us the, the power and the ability to face things in our lives confidently. Why? Because we know that God's character is true, that He does not change. James 1, 17 and through 19 says, to, in, in whom there is no variation or shifting of shadows. We said in Numbers 23, 19, that God is not a man that he shall lie, nor a son of man that he shall repent. Has he said it, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken it, and will he not make it good? We can count and build our entire lives on the trustworthiness, the truthfulness, the surety of, of God and his character. Because all these promises flow out of that character. 2 Corinthians 5, or 2, 2 Corinthians 1, 20, For as many as are the promises of God in him, they're yes. Because of his character, we can trust him. And the reality is, is that nothing, we said last week, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8. And because of that, the, rea the reality that we deal with today is we're not fully yet what we will fully be one day. We're not fully yet. But we have hope. And, and Romans 8 talks about that, that, that we groan and, and these bodies groan and we yearn. We long to one day be fully what we have been declared, declared to be through Christ. And yet we're not there yet. 
But one day we can be confident that one day we will be. And that's our hope. That's our hope. We've been adopted. We're God's children. We, we don't experience that fully today, but we know that one day, in, in, in a sense of, we experience some of it. I, I would equate it to a child who has maybe been adopted. They're, they're, in, they're in Russia, let's just say, and, and a family in America has adopted them, and they've signed all the papers, and they've, everything has been, been uh, official that way, and this child has been put on a plane, and they're flying across the ocean to their parents. That's kind of us right now as Christians. We've been adopted. It's secure. It's official. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been fully adopted. And yet we long to be in the presence of our Father. We long to fully understand what it will be like to, 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 to be glorified and not battle with sin and and, and the hurts and all that we battle with. And our hope is that one day we will fully be what God has declared over us. And so today I, I want to look at the, the response to biblical hope in our lives. Because I feel like there's a disconnect here. What, what ought this hope, if you truly have that hope, what ought that look like in your life? The, the fact of the gospel the surety of God's character, the surety of His promises, the surety of our adoption, the surety of our inheritance, what ought that look like in our, in our lives? What effect does the Bible call for in our lives if they're built, if they're truly built on biblical hope? What ought our lives look like? And, and I think that lies totally within the, the context of 1 Timothy. We said 3.15 was the... Key verse, he says, I write these things so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of truth. How to conduct yourself. How ought biblical hope, how ought that change and affect the way we live? And that, that's the emphasis today. Based upon the truth of God's word and based upon the the truthfulness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we've been grafted into the family of God by faith, through faith in Jesus Christ, in His death, burial, and resurrection, that, that one day we will be glorified, made perfect. How does a believer live that out currently? That's what I want to talk about today. One, one point with some subpoints you see there on your handout, and, and it's this. This is what I want us to see today through Scripture. We have a responsibility the response to biblical hope is that we have a responsibility to pursue holiness in order to display the reality that our lives are built upon biblical hope. A responsibility. And, and I worded that very, very specifically for this reason, because my fear is that because of grace, because we have a gospel that is built upon grace, because we have been saved by grace, my fear is that we've separated that from the responsibility that comes with that grace. That's my fear. That, that we have a worldly definition of grace and, and, and we have a false understanding, really, of biblical grace, if you will, and, 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 and it's crept into our lives and it's crept into our churches. We have, a, we have a hard, here's how I know, we have a hard time equating commands and demands of Scripture with grace. And yet, with grace comes responsibility. 
the, the reality is, is all of our lives, all of our, if, if, if you're married, you understand this. Look, Karen and I on, and by the way, it was 2003, we have an 8 and 11 year old. I don't want any, I don't want to cause more confusion. Like, well, you've been married three years and you have an 8 and 11 year old. Um, we took vows to one another. We made promises. The reality is, is I sat in front of Karen's mom and dad. Uh, apparently, Barbara was telling me the other day with my knees shaking and sat before them and asked if I could marry their daughter. And I, and I said something like this. I don't know what the future holds, but here's what I do know. That I take marriage seriously and there'll never come a point in time where I'll divorce your daughter. No matter what. Based on the Bible. Based on my convictions on the Bible. Here, here's my point. When, when Karen and I said I do on, two, on June, June 28, 2003, did my responsibility to her increase or did my responsibility to her decrease? It increased. The reality is the, the implications for my actions increased greatly. My responsibility to her was no longer, no longer a boyfriend, no longer a, a um, what is it, a fiancé. It, no, you're a husband. We're one flesh. My, my responsibility to her vastly increased. The ramifications for my actions and not fulfilling my, my vows to her greatly increased. The reality is, biblically, we have a responsibility as believers to seek to live in a way that, that displays the glory of God, that displays the hope that we have. The, and that's the bottom line. We are commanded to live lives a certain way in a response to grace, in response to biblical hope. We're commanded. We have a responsibility. And I, and I, realize, I realize that we don't, we, we don't like those words. We don't equate them. But listen... Holiness in a believer's life is not optional. The pursuit of holiness in a believer's life is not optional. We have been declared holy, and now we are to pursue that holiness. And I, I, I want to illustrate it kind of the way I've, I read this in a book. This is not mine, and, and, um, but, but it, 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 was, it was a good illustration. And I, I fear this is how many believers view holiness. How many in here, just in all honesty, like camping? Like, can't wait to go camping. How many of you, being honest, don't just say it don't make a lick of sense why you got a bed and air conditioning and cable TV, why you'd go live outdoors with none of that? Exactly. Foolish at best. Matt Hewitt is the biggest fan of camping that I've ever met. If you want to go camping, take Matt Hewitt. Seriously, you'll be his best friend. He hates it. I, I grew up camping. But not in not in tents. So some of you are right there. So you didn't really camp. I gr I grew up camping. We had a, we we started with a pop up, and and um I remember we were at Cape Sandblast one weekend, and this horrific storm came through. The temperature dropped about forty five degrees. It was miserable. We got up the next morning, and my mom said, "Terry, that's my dad. You're going to buy us a camper when we get back on Monday, or I'm never coming camping again." When I say camper, she wanted four walls, she wanted running water, she wanted a heater. You know, she wasn't having this pop-up stuff anymore. And, and we, 
but we would, it was basically, he went and bought, it was basically a mobile motel room. And, and we camped, there were families, about five families in our neighborhood that we camped with regularly. I mean, every other month we were going somewhere. And, and I have tremendous fond memories of camping. And, and, and some of you here camp today and some of you may be really brave, like Jeff Malden. Jeff Malden likes to go, he likes to go tent camping. Michael Flashenream, who heads up our children's ministry, that guy goes camping and he stays in a hammock. Like, he don't even put a roof over his head. He makes these things, he has a business, he makes them. And the guy, the guy sleeps in a hammock, he don't even put walls. I mean, that, that's camping. But, but here's where I'm going with this. Some people like camping, and others hate it. It's just not for them. And my fear is this, that as believers, many of us view holiness and the pursuit of holiness kind of like we view camping. You know what, if you enjoy camping, that's good for you. I don't know, but it's not for me. That, I, my fear, that's how, we, that's how we view God's holiness. That's how we view a pursuit of holiness. If others want to sleep outside in the cold and when they could have a mattress indoor and be warm, hey, that's good for you, just not something I want to do. That's your business. Some of you have the, would have to say, you know what, I have the utmost respect for Michael that he would sleep in a hammock, that he would sleep outdoors and do that. I wish I liked that. I have the utmost respect for him doing that, but, but, but it's just not for me. I mean, I have respect for somebody who's intentionally going to make their life harder on themselves and be miserable. If you want to do that, that's good for you, just not something I want to do. And my fear is that many of us as believers view holiness and the pursuit of God kind of like we do camping. You know, maybe that's what pastors do. You know, maybe that's what a few spiritually elite do. You know, maybe that's good for them. You know what? If, if you want to wait to have sexual relationships until you're married, you know, I can, I can respect that and I can appreciate that. Just not for me. Hey, if you want to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me, if you, if you, I have utmost respect for that, but, but this is just not for me. Hey, if you want to go against the grain and go against the culture and, and do all that, you know what? I have the utmost respect for you, but... I'm afraid many of us just say, that's just not for me. You know, you have a lot of respect for somebody who does. But you just say it's not for you. You've just bought the lie that it's just not for you. And my, my fear is that, that there's very little serious concern for personal holiness. There's very little serious assault on our sin, very little serious... Uh, Grief with regards to our sin. And as such, we failed to connect our hope, our biblical hope, to our daily lives. And you'll see on your hand now, the biblical basis and call for everyone to pursue holiness is response. It's response to the gospel. It's response to the grace of God. It's response to hope. This is not moralism. This is not pull up your bootstraps and grit your teeth. And like my grandfather used to say, buck up, little camper. Now, it's not that. It's response. It's response to a, a glorious, awesome God 
emptying himself and taking on the form of a bondservant and dying on a cross so that you and I, whoever, was, whoever would believe in Jesus Christ, whoever would identify that it was their sin that put him there and it was their sin that really meant for them to be there and yet Jesus was our substitute, the response to that, that's what holiness is a response to. It's based upon... It's fueled by what Christ has done for us. No, no different than, 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 than those of us who are married in our vows. Those vows, they fuel certain behavior. It's the basis for certain behavior. I'm not waking up every day trying to perform for Karen and, and, and trying to keep her married. The reality is, is we are married. And it's, that, it's the establishment of that relationship that fuels everything, not to keep her. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's an act of love versus an act of, of I don't know, um, I can't think of the right word right now, duty. It's the difference between love and duty. I remember John Piper uh, said one day, he says, do I have to kiss my wife goodnight every night before bed? I do not, but I must. I don't have to, but I must. There's a big difference between have to and must. And, and I want to, you know, the Bible calls for a pursuit of holiness, and it's based on the gospel. Everything goes back to the gospel. And, and my goal here today is for us to see the command for a pursuit of holiness and that we would take a pursuit of holiness serious in our lives. That we would be grieved over our sin, that we would that we would love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, that we would take this serious, that, that as you see on your handout, seeing and understanding the gospel and all that Christ accomplished would empower us to be serious about our pursuit of God and our pursuit of personal holiness. Not from the standpoint of earning our holiness, but from the standpoint that we have been declared holy. And, and listen, I, listen, to, go to 1 John 3, 3. We're... we're this has everything to do with what we'll see in 1 Timothy, but go to 1 John 3, 3 with me for a moment. We're going to read verses 1 through 3 so that you can see that, that, that this is a response, that it's built upon the gospel, it's built upon who you've been declared to be because of who you are in Christ. If you're a believer, here, here's what this looks like. Start in verse 1, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. Okay, right there you have the relate. God has adopted you. Through Christ, He has adopted you. He has declared that you are sons and daughters. You're, you've been grafted in, Romans says, to the people of God. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Listen, here's the hope. Here's the hope that comes with the relationship, with the adoption. Beloved. Now we are children of God, and it is not yet appeared as yet what we will be. For we know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. That's the hope that comes with the adoption. But, and listen, here's the response. Verse 3. And this is a strong passage, and we're going to have some strong words, but, but listen. Everyone who has this hope, fixed on him, does what? Purifies himself just as he is pure. Do you see the response? 
the gospel, through the gospel, you've been adopted into God's family. You're now a child of God. That's Galatians 3. It's Romans. It's all over the place. You've been adopted. That adoption comes with a hope that one day he's coming back for us. One day we're going to be made into his likeness. Sanctification is I'm moving towards that. One day, that's Romans 8, 30 and 31. We're going to be glorified. It's all going to, it's going to be come to completion. Until that day, here's what we do. We seek to purify ourselves. We seek holiness, just as he is pure. Listen, the pursuit of holiness, I mean, the pursuit of purity and the pursuit of holiness is a natural and right response to understanding the gospel, to having been adopted into God's family. It's a responsibility. It, it comes with a responsibility. And at the same time, that responsibility is fueled by the very gospel by which you've been saved by. We, we purify ourselves now. We seek purity now because we have the hope that one day we will be made pure. That's the connection. The, the, the truth of this verse is very plain but it can be very painful, and, and you see it on your handout. Here it is. Anyone who does not seek purity for themselves does not have the hope of Christ of one day being made like Him. That's very clearly what it says. Everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. And, and, and to make it even clearer as to what it seems to say in this passage, along with others that we'll look at, and here's what it teaches. That there is no group of people who have the hope of seeing and being like Jesus and the Father that do not purify themselves now, do not seek purity now. If that is your hope, you seek purity now. That's clearly, uh, that's clearly what that says. And, and, and these are strong statements, but this is what Scripture says. And, and think about it this way, just to illustrate it. D talking about hope. Suppose somebody said that they hope to play professional basketball one day. That that's their hope. But they rarely, if ever, practiced. They got no lessons. There was no discipline. They did all kind of other things other than practice basketball. They were not getting better. There was no maturation in their skills the reality is you'd say you don't really hope to play professional basketball. Agreed? You'd say that really isn't your hope. That, that's, I think that's clear. I mean, someone said, I want to play, I hope to play professional golf, but they didn't own golf clubs and they never went to the golf course. And the, the point is this, that we build our lives around our hope. The thing that we hope in, that's what we build our lives around. And we avoid things that conflict with our hope. I, 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 re, I remember reading, growing up, I would read autobiographies and of, of, of people who had, you know, done great things, or, or, or especially in the, in the sports realm. And, and there was one common denominator amongst all of them and that, had, that had achieved great things in the sporting world, and was this, planned neglect. 
Anything that did not move them towards their goal, you know what they did? They neglected it. Why? Because their hope was here. And so anything that was a distraction from that hope, whether it was golf or football or baseball or, or CEO, whatever, it required them saying no to things over here because it conflicted with their hope here. I mean, we, we like to, if we're honest, we like to say to ourselves, well, you know, that athlete, he's great, he just had natural talent. You know, because that makes us less, feel less convicted about being lazy. You know, oh, he just had natural talent. You know, if, you know, if I was six foot three and 230 pounds, I would have played professional basketball. I just, just, but instead I'm 5'7", 100 and whatever. You know, that makes, that makes me pillow my head better at night instead of saying, you know what, Chris, you didn't work at it. You're just no good. It wasn't my hope. I had a hope one day of playing professional golf. The reality is I hated to practice. You know what my dad said for one day to me? You really don't want to play professional golf then, I guess. I guess not, because I hated to practice. Not that I would have ever gotten there. I'm not saying that. But, hey, as a kid, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to do the things that, that would have aligned up with that hope. And the same thought runs throughout 1 John. You, you can look all throughout 1 John and see the, see the same things. That you build your life around your hope. It, it, look at verse 4 of chapter 3. Everyone who practices sin and pra also practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. Little children, verse 7, make sure that no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. You're building your life around that which you hope in. Same thing is said in, go, flip over to 1 Peter 1, and we'll, we'll park there, there for a minute. 1 Peter 1, 15. We're going to look at this chapter of Peter in a minute, but 1 Peter 1.15, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you were to read verses 3 through 12 that lead up to this section, section 13 through 16 is, is, is a thought here. And verses 3 through 12 are all about the Christian hope that is laid up for us in the future. And, and it is a certain thing, and there's certainty to it. And if you were to look, starting in verse 3, on your handout there, you'll see some of the certain realities of our present hope that fuel our pursuit of holiness. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse, you see it on your handout. We've been born again to a living hope. This is not a dead hope. It is a living hope. Verse 4. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. We have been born again to an indestructible inheritance. It's promised. It's guaranteed. Verse 5. Who, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Listen, we are eternally protected by God to obtain our salvation. We're secure. 
God has promised, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, I will never leave you nor forsake you. John chapter 10, no one can snatch you out of my hand. The question is, are you really in his hand? Verse 7, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our faith will be tested here on earth so that God may be glorified. Those testings purify our faith. We see that in Romans 5. They strengthen our faith, James 1. They, they, they burn off the dross, if you will. You see that in Scripture, that, that our faith would be as pure gold. Gets rid of all the impurities. Verse 8. And through and though, listen, and though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. You see it? Our hope produces inexpressible joy in Christ today, no matter the circumstances. That's what it says there. It has a present impact. And all of those, again, Paul's Peter, I mean, Peter's point is this. Based on the certainty of our salvation and the certainty of our future, we live in light of that today in a specific way, or at least we seek to. Not perfection. I was talking with a man the other day, and, and, and we were dealing with some things, and, and, and he made the statement that, well, you know what, does everybody in your church have to be perfect? I said, absolutely not, starting with this pastor. The difference is this, is the church is to be a, a, a group of people who hate their sin, who, go, who full out have an onslaught and assault on their sin, who not are comfortable with their sin. There's a very big difference between being a, being a sinner and being comfortable with that and being, realizing you're a sinner and yet hating it. That's what Paul says, I hate what I do, what I don't want to do, and I don't want to do what I want to do. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? But then he says, but praise be to God. Jesus Christ does that. That's a certain, a certain hope. This is not a bunch of people that are perfect. This is a bunch of people who hate their sin. When, they sin, when a Christian ought to loathe their sin, they ought to be grieved by their sin. They ought to be in anguish over their sin. Not comfortable with their sin. And he's simply saying, live in a way that lines up with your calling. And that's where 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 and following come in. Therefore, he says, therefore, again... We're going to go into this, but therefores, you, you ought to do a study one time of all the therefores in Scripture because it's a beautiful thing. Because of the promises you have in Christ, because of all the doctrine, all the truth that you have in Christ, therefore, because of that, prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, verse 14, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. And then you see this, but like the Holy One who has called you, be holy. Just as He has called you, be holy, for I am holy. Peter, right here, he spells out the impact our future hope has on our lives today. 
And, and verses 14, this goes all the way through chapter, 10, chapter 2, verse 10, but I'm going to give you the highlights. Verses 14 through 16 that I just read, he says, we are to live presently, we are to live holy lives in the face of our culture. In response to the gospel, we are to live holy lives in the face of our culture. Look at verse, that's verses 14 through 16. Look at 17 through 21. If you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. You see the temporal nature? You're a visitor. You're a pat, we're passing through. While you're there, see what he says to do? Knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like gold or silver from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who though through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, listen, so that your faith and your, there it is again, hope are in God. What, what is that saying? Real, real succinctly, we live with fear in regards to our relationship with the heavenly one. We live in fear. A right reverence, a reverential fear. He's God. He's your father, but listen to me, he's also holy God. And, and, and the rea- you look at Hebrews 10, I think it's right about verse 30, 31, 29, 30, 31, right in there. It says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. You look at Proverbs all throughout, I think it's 1-7, the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of understanding is what? Fear of the Lord. If you look at verse 22 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter, since you, have an obe- since you have in obedience to truth, there it is, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but is imperishable, that is through the living and enduring word of God. He goes on and on. Like, look at verse chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, putting aside all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Listen, and these are big statements. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. If you're a believer. The reality is this. Our future hope we, impacts us today. We live in love with regards to the Word and each other. You can go back to 1 John, and he talks about that. If anyone hates his brother, how does the Word of God abide in him? He goes on in verses 4 through 10 to say this. We build our entire lives based upon the promises of God in order to declare His excellencies. He says in verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. This is same as I've said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you drink or eat or whatever you do, what? Do it to the glory of God. We exist to declare the greatness of God. And what does that? A pursuit of holiness does that. And and all of our hope, listen, all of our hope is in the gospel. It is in a future, it is in a certain future glory. And all throughout scripture you see the same pattern. The writer of scripture will declare what God has done. 
And then you will see a transition in the letter with this simple word, therefore. Turn with me, turn to me, just to look at a couple of them. In Ephesians chapter 4. For three chapters, God has explained the gospel. Paul has explained the gospel, the blessings of redemption, that you're made alive in Christ, and, and how Paul stewarded this. He, he says, Now him who is able to do far more exceedingly beyond all, abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Here's the deal. Therefore, verse 1, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance and love for one another, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It's a response. In response to what God has done in the gospel. Go over to verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. He goes on to say, verse 25, Therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak truth to one another and his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down. All of those commandments are based on the gospel. They're based on who you are in Christ. It's based on the holiness that has been credited to your account. The righteousness has been credited to your account. If you were to flip over to the right, go to Colossians 3. Paul has just declared to them all the incomparable Christ, that they were built up in Christ. He's, he's talked about the gospel. Look what he says in verse 3. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ... Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with Him in glory. You see the future nature? You see the hope? That's our hope. And he says, live now. Live now, believer, the way that you will for all eternity. Seek to do that. Look, at if you went over to Romans 12, for 11 chapters, Paul has explained the gospel, and then he says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and, holy and acceptable to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. And do not be conformed any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that they may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and perfect and acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. Therefore, because of who you are, I'll never forget growing up, my dad would say to me, I, I, you know, you, you, you start to know everything when you get older, and like, well, dad, why can't I do that? Or other families do this. He says, because you're a Basham. And Bashams do what Bashams do. If you want to be a heart, the hearts were across the street. They were one of the families we went camping with. Hey, go see if they'll take you. If you want to live like them, go live in their house. But, but, but guess what? You're a Basham. Responsibilities come with that. If you bear the name Christian, if you identify yourself as a Christian, there's responsibilities. That's all I'm saying. There's responsibilities to pursue that. A title has been placed upon you. When I went from, when I went from just a title, you're talking about titles, when I went from director of recreation to, to licensed ministry, ministry associate, and then all of a sudden I became the minister to recreation, there's responsibility that goes with that. 
The reality is, is you could do something and I could do the same thing. The ramifications of me doing what you do are going to be greater in many ways. Why? Because of the simple title in front of my name, Pastor. Pastor. You, you bear a title. It's Christian. Child of the King. Holy. And every single thing that we're commanded in this word, every single thing that we're commanded as believers, it's all based upon what God did first in saving us. It's all based on grace. And what is he saying? He's saying, believer, your life, you see it on your handout, is to be lived in celebration of the wonder of your salvation, the wonder of though you're yet a sinner, Christ died for you. I, I pray that in my own life and in your life that that, that would never, uh, like the, the awe of being married, it would never get old, the fact that it, I sit there and think sometimes, you know, because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a moron. Y'all, y'all, y'all get to see like prepared or whatever. Y'all don't, y'all don't have to live with Chris. And, and I'm amazed sometimes that Karen loves me. Like I know you vowed and stuff, but I'm amazed, but I'm more amazed this, that God loves me. Because see, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I don't even know my own sin. And yet God knows my sin perfectly and still loves me. I, I pray the awe of that would never leave. I pray the awe of, of, of remembering what it was like to have no hope and to be lost and without a future and inheritance and all the blessings that we just talked about. Can you imagine what it would be like to wake up every morning without that? And yet God has bestowed that upon you by grace. To fix, fix your hope completely on the Lord and your life be an overflow of that. And, and two commandments you'll see on your handout from, from, from 1 Peter there. Two commandments really, really jump, jump off the screen. And, and in my translation it says prepare your, prepare your minds, but... I, I, I was reading another translation, and it said, gird up the loins of your mind. Prepare your mind. You know, and, and be ready for action is what he's saying. Be prepared. Be watchful. Be mindful. If you were to look, we don't have time this morning, but if you were to look into Exodus twelve eleven, before they exited Egypt, God commanded them to, to take the Passover. And if you were to go back there, he, he, the picture is being ready for battle or ready for action. He says when you were, they were commanded to take the Passover in that instance quickly. Usually it would be a very leisurely thing. It would, be a very, it would take a while, but they were commanded in that, ex, that instant to take it quickly. And here's the deal, because at any moment, any moment, they were about to leave Egypt. And God says, take the Passover, but do it quickly. Be ready. The, the picture there is to be ready for action. It's to orient your life, to build your life, so that you're ready for action on behalf of the Lord. You're ready to obey the Lord. Not so that, so that, so that you would not be hindered to obey. That when something comes up and there's an opportunity to serve, that you would be ready for that. And, and again, I, I, I don't know, uh, you know, I, I don't know, I, I don't ever know as far as a young pastor what to share or whatever, but I was telling Karen, this has been, 
like an unbelievable two weeks. Highs and lows. Uh, the, the lows having to confront people in their sin and, and deal with some things, those are things that you never look forward to as a pastor, and yet God in His graciousness, you know, I, there was a guy called me a couple weeks ago. Just in, I'll just encourage y'all how awesome the Lord is. Not that y'all need any of that, but there was a guy called me and, and his marriage was in trouble and he said, hey, somebody told me to call you and he, he goes to another, this guy goes to another church. And I'll be honest with you, it, it, was a very, it was at a very hectic time and my flesh is thinking, well, there's 26 pastors at your church. He went to main campus. I said, there are 26 pastors over there. Why are you calling me? I'm just being honest with you. That's where my flesh was. It was crazy, busy, a lot going on with just with my own sheep, much less other people's sheep. And I felt like the Lord said, no, just, just talk to this guy. So we did. And he calls me. He, he's, he, by the grace of God, you know, uh, he was very humble and, and did what the Word of God commanded him to do as a leader. And their marriage is getting back together. But he called me the other day and says, Chris, I want to, I want to, do something for you as a way to say thank you. And I said, I don't, I don't need anything. I didn't do that for you. I did, I did that to the glory of God. I don't want anything. He says, well, you know, can I do something for a family in your church? And he showed up with this gift that was unbelievable, and I was just able to, to give that out. And then I, I, the other day of this week, a guy shows up that, and this is all on the, to the, to like on the backdrop of the other nasty stuff. The guy shows up and, Honestly, I do not remember having this conversation. This is how I don't remember having a conversation with this man. I don't remember telling him about this. But he says, does not go to this church? To my knowledge, he doesn't go to any church. I know him. I've shared the gospel with him. I've, I've met with this man. He says, hey, I noticed you don't, notice you still have that old sign out there. You had mentioned a while back about you wanted to get a, a nicer sign. I said, yes. Yeah, they're expensive, and, you know, it, it is what it is. He said, how much is it? I said, I don't know. He says, do I recall you saying it was about 15 grand? And I said, yeah, it's somewhere around there. He says, hey, I'll, I'll, show, I'll be here tomorrow with a check for $15,000. And I don't know if there was something on my face that just said something. Probably was. <laughs> but he said, is that not enough? And I says, well, I hate to say, I mean, I don't want to be a jerk. I said, you know, I said, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll figure out how to pay the rest. We'll figure out as a church how to pay the rest. He says, no, no, what? what? He said, it's really about 20 or 22. He says, okay, I'll, I'll show up tomorrow with a check for 20000 All right. So just to be accountable, just to be accountable, I forwarded him the, I forwarded him the bid. And uh, it's $25,000 for an LED sign installed, everything out the door. And that's part of the reason why we never pursued it. It's just expensive, and there are other things. That guy showed up Thursday morning with a check for $25,000 and said, go get your sign. You know, that was probably one of five things that happened to me this week in the last probably 13 days where I feel like God is just saying, you know, stay at it, just encouraging. In the midst of the junk, in the midst of all the junk, the, the sinfulness, and I say junk, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but we serve a God who is faithful to just breathe, a, breathe continually breathe a, a fresh air into your sails. Say, keep at it. 
be ready. We, we as believers ought to be ready for the Lord to work, to be ready to be used, to gird up our, our, the loins of our minds, to, to, to be ready to, to act without hesitation. You, you, you look over at, at Luke chapter 12. In, in verses 35 to, and, and following, it talks about being in readiness. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. You know, the reality is, if, if I'm honest, I had kind of in my own mind just kind of not even thinking about the sign in some ways because I thought it's expensive. And in my own sinless, I just... And God just showed up through somebody that's not even, doesn't even go here and just said, hey, go get your sign. And, and at the perfect time, in a week that's, that was anything but pleasant in many ways... Having to do some things that just weren't fun. Just go with the territory. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be ready. Be, be ready for action. Be ready for God to do what He does based on His character. It, but not only, not only that, keep sober, He says. And you see this same thing in, in 2 Timothy 4. 1 through 5, the, the reference there to keep sober, sober obviously is clear thinking. It's being mindful of, of God and your life as an ambassador. And Paul says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, Great patience and instruction for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away from their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. Be sober. Be ready. Don't stop. You can look at Matthew 6. He talks about that. He, he talks about all throughout. Be ready that, that to, live, to live a way that's built upon the future hope, not your present circumstances. Not to fix your hope on the things of the world. And, and the gospel, the gospel and its realities, and what I want us to see on your, on your handout there, doctrine, that's truth. That's God's truth, the gospel. Doctrine about who God is and what, he's, and, and, and what He's done and practice are inseparable. Doctrine and practice are inseparable. You, you'll see it in your handout. The, the gospel and its realities, they define the standard of our conduct. It's the, based on the gospel. This is 1 Corinthians 6. This is 1 Corinthians 10. Paul says all things are lawful, but guess what? Not all things are profitable. Profitable why, Paul? Profitable compared to what? Profitable for the gospel is what he says. All things are lawful. Can you? Maybe. But is it, is it profitable based on who you are in Christ? Is it profitable for your walk? Is it profitable for your testimony? Is it profitable for leading others to the Lord? The standard of conduct all goes back to the gospel. The means of our conduct. The means of our conduct. The gospel defines that. The gospel defines the outcome of our conduct. It's the basis of our conduct. But lastly, it's also the motivation of our conduct. Why? To the glory of God because of the gospel. 
Everything goes back to the gospel. Fixing our minds completely on the gospel. And, and listen, not only the pursuit of your own holiness, of pursuing holiness in your life, but that's why we help others in their pursuit of their holiness, because we're a body. This goes even beyond you. And we've got to understand holiness and purity and that. And if we'd understand, if you don't understand that, you will not understand the context of 1 Corinthians 5 where Paul rebukes a man in sin and Matthew 18 where there's church discipline. Why those things seem so out of place in our culture is because they don't understand how holy God is. They don't understand the holiness that God has declared over our own lives and who we are. Therefore, to rebuke somebody in sin seems totally out of place, but not if you understand holiness. Not if you understand first really what God has done for us and declared over us. Listen, in Hebrews 12, chapter 12, verse 12, listen quickly. Therefore, again, you see it, therefore. This is in the context of God disciplines those whom He loves. Therefore, look at what it says. Strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. I, I stood before a man, sat before a man on Monday and begged for repentance. Begged him. Just begged. Why? For holiness. For his holiness. For my holiness. Because we're a body. And my purity affects you, and your purity affects me. And you see it in your hand out. Because of the gospel, we are to pursue our own purity, but also encourage each other in their pursuit. That's why 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean the moral people of this world or the covetous and swindlers and idolaters. For then they would have to go out of the world. But I actually wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he's an immoral person, a covetous, or idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. Here's the deal. If we don't understand holiness, that verse seems way out of line with grace. But if you were to understand the whole thing, Paul is doing that because all the believer had in that day was the body. He was taking away the one thing that mattered most. Why? To draw him back. That's why Galatians 6.1 says, If any of your brothers is caught up in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one, but do it with, such a, with a spirit of gentleness so that you won't be tempted. Restore them. That's why Hebrews 10.24 says, Do not forsake the assembling together as it has the habit, as, as the habit of some, but instead encourage one another. We come here weekly, weekly and weekly to encourage one another, to stay in your lane, to stay at it. Why? Because holiness matters. That's why Galatians 6 says, Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due time, if you do not grow weary in doing good, you will reap a harvest. Do not grow weary in doing good. And all of this, the foundation for all of this is grace. The summation, you see it on your handout. Grace is the summation of all of God's blessings. And we're to live in a way that is expecting and we're ready when He returns. Listen and I close with 1 John 2, 28. Little children, abide in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, 
you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of God. Believer, live in light of the fact that he could return at any moment. Live in light of the fact that when he returns, you don't want to shrink away in shame at how you're living. You don't want to be like the little kid who didn't know when his mom and dad were coming home and he had some chores to do and some responsibilities and all of a sudden that key goes in that door and mom and dad walk in and he ain't done what he's supposed to be doing. Don't be that believer. And the security of our salvation, the certainty of our salvation secures our pursuit of holiness. And that's what it says on your handout. Purity is not the basis of our justification. It's the fruit of having been justified. Purity is not pursued in an attempt to gain acceptance before God, but rather because we have been accepted before God. Purity is not pursued to become a child of God, but because we have been declared to be a child of God. Listen, purity, the the fact of what God has done, frees us to pursue. Just like your vows free you to serve your spouse. And I, and I, I put some, I put some, I found this uh, at a reliable website, a guy that I appreciate reading just from my own walk on the bottom of your handout. If you want to look more, hope some texts for more study. If you need help with your quiet times, I've listed things that we hope in there. How does hope benefit the believer? I, I would hope that we would understand our hope. Understand our hope. And that we would live today in light of our great hope. That we would, live to li- li- we would live today in light of the surety of our hope. And that when Christ returns, he'd find his bride with their lamps lit and on the lookout for his appearance. 